Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Simonson. This is part two of my talk with missionary Lance Roberts. Part one takes a look at Lance's personal story, what led him to be a YWAM-based leader in Ukraine, and what his day-to-day life looks like. Part two goes into Lance's observations and thoughts on Ukraine, Russia, and the United States, what it's like to live as an American in a former communist nation, and what it's like to experience the culture of the United States after living abroad for an extended period of time. We discuss the history of Ukraine, its historical importance in the world, and the effects of being a part of the Soviet Union for the greater part of the 20th century. Toward the end, we explore the ethnic diversity of Ukraine and how it may or may not relate to ethnic relations in the United States, culminating in an examination of white nationalism in America and how the label may be misplaced. I had started recording mid-conversation, as you will hear, and ended the conversation short to regroup and record what we originally intended to capture, which can be heard on part one. We were glad to be hosted by Lamppost Coffee Roasters in Bonnie Lake, Washington, so you will hear some coffee shop ambiance in the background. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and find us on social media. And now I present part two of my conversation with missionary Lance Roberts. Okay. <laughs> One of the things about living in Ukraine is like sometimes you, you feel like you're a time capsule of when you left. Yeah. And so like I'm a I'm a I left I left for Ukraine when I, I was like 20, 21, 22. So it was like early you know mid two thousands. And so all my music is still from the mid 2000s, you know, all the stuff that I like, all the, all the words that I use are still from there. And you, you meet these missionaries that went, went onto the, onto the field in the nineties and the, the stuff they talk about, the issues that they have, the music they listen to, um, the worship songs they like, like all of that is from the nineties. <laughs> so they're like this time capsule of the nineties. And I, I actually just started realizing this when I was, uh, I was in England and uh, and I was just talking. I said, "Man, that's cray cray." And they're like, "That's like so 2000s." I'm like, "Uh, y- yeah, I guess so." And they're like, "Nobody uses that anymore." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> I guess I do <laughs> still." <laughs> but uh, but being a missionary, a lot of the a lot of pop culture comes to you way late, or it comes to you kind of through the filter of the the country that you're living in. So. Um, yeah, so for me, like looking, looking at America from the outside, uh, cause I've been, I've been there since, you know, okay, I guess it was 2006 is when I went to stay in Ukraine, but it's, yeah. So you see your culture very differently, um, than when you're living in the culture because you're observing from outside. So you watch news differently. Um, you, you watch movies differently, um, because media in other places is very different. And you start seeing the nuance of what media is actually trying to say, and um, because every country, you know, wants you to believe something, so about yeah. themselves and about the world. So you, you start kind of comparing and contrasting your culture versus the culture you're living in, and um, yeah, so it's just interesting, interesting thing being kind of like you left your culture, and that's what you knew as normal. And then you go to a different country. So that, that kind of stays normal for you. So as you're living your normal American life in another country, that does not change. And then watching the change that happens in your home country, you feel kind of separated. So that's that time capsule kind of, yeah. kind of aspect. But it probably gives you a real good, like, uh, unbiased 
objective view of the situations? It, it could. It really depends on uh, your worldview and, and um, what you want to choose to believe about your country. For, for a while, I was really frustrated with America watching this stuff, but I think it was more I was frustrated with the changes I was seeing and not being involved with. Um, if I would have been in America and those changes were to happen, I don't think I would have even noticed. So, mm. yeah, I think uh, I, you, you do kind of have a biased view, right? So I live in Ukraine. Ukraine went through a war. Um, Obama was president, and I was listening to what Obama was saying and, and what, the, what the Ukrainians were hearing. And then what actually was happening uh, was not matching what Obama was saying. And... Um, Sometimes I just wish he would have stopped talking because he was giving Ukrainians hope. Okay. And then wasn't delivering, you know. Hmm. And uh, so, and then on, on the Trump side, you know, Ukrainians love and hate Trump <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's really funny. Everybody talks about Trump even in, in Ukraine. But uh, they, they love him because he, they, uh, Trump actually gave weapons where Obama only gave, you know, bulletproof vests and defensive things. Um, but Trump actually helped kind of build a military instead of just kind of, here you go, throw on a, throw on a suit and get, get to the front line. And so, I mean, I'm speaking in way over, like I know international politics right now is super complicated, but um, I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just interesting to, to watch from, uh, talking about biases, like, um, so I have my own political biases. And um, so I do definitely see American politics, American um, history playing out through my, through my worldview. But, but it, it definitely does change when you're almost take, I don't know if it's taking offense for the country you're living in, but, but you, you have a, when you move to a country, you kind of grow this deep love for that country. And, um, and you kind of take on some of the offenses or some of the pains and some of the hurts or some of the joys of that country and you kind of live it out. And so, you know, that becomes a, one of the filters that you listen, um, you, you listen through, right? So when you're, when you're hearing America talk about Ukraine, you're, you're listening from a Ukrainian perspective, but you're also kind of listening from your American perspective. Yeah. And, um, so it's just, uh, it's, a, it's an odd place to be in, but at the same time, I think it's helped me have a pretty round, well-rounded view of what happens in the world and, and what's happening in America. And uh, I think I can, I, I can say I have, I, at least I have observations. I don't know if it's truth. I don't know if it's accurate. Yeah. But I have observations that's, that are just like, wow, that's interesting. It's different than I remember or it's that's not quite what I thought America was or what are some of the observations you have right now? Um, in general, I see people are busier, but I don't know what they're busier with. Um, like I see people are doing the same amount of work, but feeling more stressed about everything. Um, I, it's harder to make real connections with people. Um, especially when we come back. But th that's also because we come from a very relational Ukrainian culture. So when you sit down and, and have, a, have a meal together, you come before the meal's made and you stay maybe till the next meal. That's what happens in Ukraine. Where here, it's very much, um, 
you come and the meal's already cooked and you sit down and you have a meal and you chat and then you leave. Like it's, it's very quick, very like regimented. So that's how relationships are or, or can be. So, um, but for, for us, like Megan and I, we go to somebody's house and we sit down and, you know, we have the meal and we're just, we just got started and they're like, okay, we got to see you later. <laughs> and it's like, oh no. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, um, so maybe some of that is like coming from Ukrainian culture, coming back to America and being influenced by Ukrainian culture. But, but I do think that there's, there's a sense of, of hurried, um, America has become very obsessed with hurry um, long commutes like uh, to everywhere. If you want to go get something from the store, you got to commute to the store. You got to commute to work. You got to commute to church. You just got to commute everywhere. And um, and I, I also think like, may I, I don't know. I think everybody's asking this question, but is social media a part of that? Like, how much time do we actually spend on the on the phones and watching Netflix or? you know, whatever other ones there are right now, <laughs> Amazon Prime, um, instead of like sitting down and having coffee with somebody or just having a conversation with your wife or your kids, you know, I think, I think we're over entertained. Yeah. And, um, and we don't take time to actually think about our life or think about each other or think about how the other person's doing because we'd rather just stuff it and watch a video. Does, uh, does Ukraine have much entertainment going on there? Uh, it, de- uh, it depends on the family culture. But uh, if you ask a young person where we're at in Chernobyl, uh, not Chernobyl, <laughs> Chernobyl with a T and a P. <laughs> I have to say that all the time. Um, in Chernobyl, uh, what happens is you ask a young person, so what do you do like, like for fun here? And they're like, um... We get with friends and we walk. You're like, you don't like go to the movies? Like, no. You don't like sit home and watch a movie? No. We walk by the, in the park or we walk across the city or like, and that's what they do. They, they just walk around wow. and talk. Yeah. And um, it's partly the culture. You know, you have multiple generations living in one household. So you have grandma, you know, mom and dad and, and kids and maybe an aunt an uncle living in like a three room apartment. And that's like three rooms. It's not like three bedrooms and a living room. That's three rooms. So you have multiple generations living in a household. So the only, you know, alone time you get with your friends is when you're out. It's not when you're in your massive house in your living room on your massive screen because nobody has a massive screen. So it's, um, that's, I, I think it's a cultural thing and, and I, I, I treasure it. It's something that I've really embraced in Ukraine is uh, this relational culture of just being with people, having meals together, going out to the coffee shop and walking. Yeah. So um, it's amazing. I hear a lot of people when they come back from living overseas, there's a certain amount of getting reacclimated to the American way of life. Yeah. <laughs> what is that like for you? Uh, I don't want to be crass, but it usually my, my, every time it's, I can't, I can't really just like, I, you know, I, I, I should be expecting it, but every time I sit on a toilet, 
I'm like, oh my gosh, these things are so much lower. And uh, oh my gosh, the, the, the toilet paper is so soft. Like, <laughs> I know this is like weird stuff, but it's the stuff that you notice. It's the little things. Um, it's, yeah, there's, there's just, there's these subtle differences that, um, that really gets you. Like I go to a restaurant and I can hear every conversation happening around me in Ukraine. I have to really focus, uh, because it's in a different language, Okay. you know? So I'm usually focused on the person right in front of me and we're having a conversation, but it, you know, English is my native language and I can understand it without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I go to a restaurant and I have like five different conversations, like pointing in my direction, you know, facing me. And I'm, I, I subconsciously listen to every one of them because it's so easy. That's pretty disorienting at times. Um, but one of the things I try not to do is go to a store for the first week, like especially like a Walmart or a Fred Meyer. It's just overwhelming, like so much to look at, so much like it, in a lot of ways, it's so much cheaper you know, and you're just like, oh my goodness, that's, that, that would cost double in Ukraine or like something that you'd, you'd think it would be so simple is, is just, um, I, I don't know. It's like America, things are cheaper in a way. Um, so I think that's also shocking. But then at the same time, you go to the restaurant and you're just like, oh my gosh, $15? <laughs> I can't imagine that. I can feed like Four people on 15 bucks going to the restaurant in, in Ukraine. So there's, you know, there's all these kind of, I mean, the cost of things is definitely one of the, one of the ones that hits you. Yeah. But um, yeah, so those are some of the differences that you see right away. The way people drive, you can definitely tell the Ukrainians uh, and Russians that drive around here. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. How so? Um, yeah. So uh, in, in Ukraine, uh, you here you kind of drive like uh, how how does it how's we're, we're taught taught to drive um, offensively no what is right. it what is well there's the, defensively or offensively there's like defensive a, driving that's okay. what that's what that's what we're taught to drive right defensive driving well some people in America are taught to drive okay that way. <laughs> so in Ukraine it's like not just offense offensive it's like offensive right? <laughs> so <laughs> everybody's trying to get just ahead of the other one because everybody wants you know i mean that's that's what you do you just drive aggressively yeah and so i come here and i'm like oh my goodness somebody's making a way for me on the parkway and i can just come right into traffic you got to be kidding me but then there's the sum where you're just like okay they're driving like a ukrainian and then sure enough you know they're, they are ukrainian. They're ukrainian or they're just you know in a hurry and they just need to slow down yeah but, or they're from boston or they're from boston um speaking of like ukrainians in america yeah have you met many ukrainians in america um you know it's it's kind of funny i have not um because uh ukrainian communities um in america are very much ukrainian communities mm-hmm. uh so i i don't have the inroads to um the the communities in the northwest if i went to sacramento sacramento has a massive ukrainian population there i can i can get into communities there easily because i have connections i have relationships and they can refer me and uh so but uh in the northwest um i guess i haven't tried too much just because when i'm in the states i need to connect with the people i know um and and typically ukrainian communities are very ukrainian so it's you know, they're very community oriented, very, you know, 
they have, uh, I'm trying to be very careful how I say this, but they do have boundaries. Like they want to stay Ukrainian within America. Okay. And um, so somebody like me, that's an American coming into their community, I'd be kind of accepted, but I'd be, I'd be looked at as suspicious. What, 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 what do I want from them? And, um, or why is this American coming into our community? So there, there's a bit of a, there's a, a bit of a cluster that can happen. Um, but you know, Slavic people, they just love Slavic people. That's just the way it is. And, uh, that's one of the things that I've really admire about the, the culture is because they're so, uh, connected in groups. And, uh, it's not just my individual life where, you know, I, I live separate from everybody. It's like you live in community. So it has its pluses and its minuses for sure. Yeah. Uh, because, um, there's a lot of pressure that can happen if you want to be different or if you want to go and do your own thing or so there's a lot of pressure to keep you within that community but at the same time that community is like super helpful in all sorts of ways so yeah so that it's it's hard to actually get into ukrainian community in the states is it is it similar like from your limited observation of the communities in america are there communities similar to the culture and the communities that are in Ukraine, or is there any differences? Um, if you don't want to talk about it, that's totally fine. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a touchy thing to talk about. It's, it's a touchy thing to talk about. And I don't want to offend Ukrainians. And you're not even, I mean, it would be your opinion. It's my opinion. Yeah. Right? The thing is, like, some of the difficulties of a Ukrainian coming to the States. And this is something I tell all the Ukra- my Ukrainian friends that are like, oh, I think I'm going to go to the States and live there. I'm like, first of all, please don't. Uh, we need you in Ukraine. We need you to make this country great. You know, we need you to work. We need you to live. We need you to create community here. If you leave, that's one less part of this community that's making Ukraine better. Um, so that's that's one of the things I do tell my Ukrainian friends. But at the same time, you know, if you're if you're struggling to to live, if you're trying to if you're trying to get money and you know, and you're you're trying to run a small business, but you can't because the local government doesn't like you and. You know, there's some there's corruption that happens uh, in Ukraine. It's getting a lot better, but still there there are some kind of Soviet systems that have not been replaced, and um, and and it, in the government for sure. And uh, so it, I can't fault people coming to coming to the states, uh, but at the same time, like one of the traps is like you can work so hard in Ukraine, and it you just don't get you don't see the money from it, right? So your your time and your work does not have the value that it has in America. So when a Ukrainian comes to the States and they work really, really hard, mm. they see it, right? It's an instantaneous monetary, like, value. So their work and their time has value. And they, they understand this, so they work harder and they work longer um, because it's so easy to do. And... Um, and that's why, like, uh, Ukrainians have, like, uh, hardwood flooring in the Northwest, I think. My friend uh, works in flooring in Portland. I, I don't know if it's still the case, but you can't beat a Ukrainian on hardwood flooring because they work longer and they work harder for less. Okay. Right? But it's way more than they would get in Ukraine. So for them, it's fine. It's just like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> like, so they have the, they have the market. So, but the, the problem that happens is you're spending more time at work. You're spending less time with your family. You're spending less time with your kids. And that's, that's where the biggest, um, the biggest difficulty is with the kids. So the kids don't feel that um, they, they're not getting what they had in Ukraine, 
right? They don't have like the the family support because oftentimes you do work all day in Ukraine, but you still have grandma and aunts and uncles and cousins and like the the community takes care of the community. Yeah. So and there's you know there's different communities like the church community is very strong depending on which church family you're part of. So it's it's a uh, it's it's a pretty awesome structure for for life and and a lot of Americans would not get into it because we're very independent. We like our like leave us alone. We choose to be in community when we want to be there. You cannot choose. You have to be. So it's just uh, like it, it does not click with our with our worldview. Um, but I have I've learned to embrace it and love it. But that's just because I've been there for I don't know thirteen years now. Do you uh, do you see many Ukrainians who have come to the United States then go back? to either live in Ukraine or send money and try to help out in some way. Yeah. So this is the thing. <laughs> Everybody, at least in Ternopil. Okay. So uh, in Kiev, it was a very different dynamic. It's the capital. It's a big city, right? So um, it's harder to see the Ukraine, the, the communities within the big city. But where I'm living now, it's like this very Ukrainian um, it's like the heart of Ukraine. So the, the system is, uh, so Ternopil, you can't live there right now and work there on the money that you get. So you have to have some sort of either outside income or like you have to leave and come back. Um, just because it's one of the poorest, it's actually one of the poorest um, uh, oblasts. Uh, it's called a oblast, which is like a state. Okay. So Ternopil state, we'll just call it a state. Um it's the poorest, one of the poorest in the in, in all of Ukraine. Okay. So, uh, but at, at the same time, you go to the center and you don't see it. There's cafes, there's um, there's coffee shops, there's people walking around with ice creams all the time. So there's a very, it, it looks like a rich, small European city, right? Um, but it's, the wealth is not created within within the state is created from outside. So a lot of people go to, to France and Italy and Poland and like to Europe or to America and send money back. So that's uh, it's, it's a good way to keep people afloat, but it's a bad thing in the long term for the economy uh, of Chernobyl because you're not actually creating jobs. You're not creating a, a sustainable system. Um, and in the in the long term, it does affect family. It affects um, your kind of identity of like, who am I? You know, it kind of it just messes with kind of a lot of a lot of the systems of a belief and systems of life. So uh, I would I would love to see people in Ukraine, in Ternopil specifically, living in Ternopil, uh, and working and living and it being kind of the symbiotic kind of way of life. But right now it's not quite possible. Interesting. Yeah. On that subject, Ukraine was communist at one time. So a lot right. of the people living there were raised, born and raised within communism. Right. Um, and then capitalism has been there. Right. And so do you see um, culturally, you know, community wise, um, economically, do you see, um, the lingering effects of communism and what does yeah. that look like? So um, the way I kind of explain this is Ukrainian, Ukrainians are very innovative. 
they yeah. innovate in engineering and electronics and like software. Um, Historically, also, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's gone down in yeah. Ukraine, like for the betterment. Yeah, like uh, airplanes that can actually carry big things. Mm. That was Ukraine, right? So, um, yeah, so it's it's this awesome, innov- innovative, I say innovative sometimes, and that's not right, innovative. Um, it's an innovative country with really smart people, creative people that know how to create a problem solve. Um, so when you talk about the capitalism and capitalistic markets, like people know they have an idea that's really good and they'll run with it um, and make it work. And so there's a lot of tiny businesses in Ukraine, which are awesome. It's, it, it works really well. The bigger you get, the more you are seen by government, by you know other competitors, and, and then it can get pretty nasty, right? Um, so... A lot of people just have these small businesses that are running really well. You know, they sell on Etsy a lot. Um, they'll so these these kind of like very different kind of markets. They'll they'll really do well in. Um, but there's these gaps in innovation, and they're they're the gaps are where communism and the Soviet Union has left massive scars. So education. Um, medical stuff Um, anything medical really Uh, and government those are the three main the three main remnants of the the effects of the Soviet Union and um, because the Soviet Union only created corruption and you know I know I'm hearing this is actually it's really scary to me I hear a lot of people in the states saying oh communism just didn't work well um before but we can make it better and i'm hearing this in the states and i'm thinking oh my goodness (laughs) like i'm living in in a post-communist country that if you look at if you look at all the the stuff that happened in europe i can't believe that we would actually start reconsidering this idea of communism as something that's viable and is that is a blessing to the community but it's it's never a blessing to community um, because it always ends up oppressive because you have a few people making decisions for everyone and it doesn't work. So, and the lasting effects are just, they, they take forever to repair. So, yeah, so the, 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 communist, the communist mindset affected um, the idea of work, right? So the street sweeper used to be paid as much as the doctor, so why would I go through all the education of becoming a doctor? Well, you're assigned it, right? Um, you don't have a choice, right? It, and that's the problem with communism. You don't have a choice. So, and that's the, what Americans love choice, right? Yeah. So why would, we wanna, why would we want to go to a system that denies us our choice? And we don't think that that would happen. But that's, that's what communism does. It restricts our choices. It restricts our ability to think freely it um, and that's what has made america amazing and in the past and even now in some ways very innovative as well so yeah i went off a tangent there but but yeah i just can't stand what the soviet union did stalin trying to make a, a monoculture just messed so many people up and uh, I talked to so many people that don't have an idea of who they are, even though they came from Kazakhstan, right? Like, who am I? 
or Russians that are in in the east right now. They they don't like the east of Ukraine. East of Ukraine, yeah. yeah. So they, um, we ask them like some of the refugees. So do you feel are, are you Russian? They're like, no, 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 we're not Russian. And do you feel Ukrainian? Well, I don't really feel Ukrainian. So yeah. what what do you like? Let's talk who about are that. You? Let's talk about yeah. Because I know what you're talking about, but the audience might not understand. Right. Talk about the the structure of historically okay. historical culture culture and ethnic groups right. that with Soviet Russia, how they were they were moved and consolidated. Right. And then what that looks like for those groups today. Yeah. Even as far as if they're Ukrainian speaking or Russian speaking, like right. all those dynamics. Like what is what does that look like? Yeah, so um Stalin had this idea of a monoculture, right? So um, in order for communism to work, you had to annihilate all other cultures, all other languages, and create one culture. And so one of the, one of the ways he did it is he did this mass immigration um, thing where he moved Russians into all parts of the Soviet Union and he moved all parts of the Soviet Union into different places. And so he, he tried to break up every language group, every culture group, um, just trying to, trying to, uh, to get rid of them um, because he didn't want national identities. He didn't want ethnic identities. He wanted one Soviet Union. And it sounds great uh, when you're thinking about um, streamlining anything and everything and just making a human being something that produces something for some whole idea of utopia, right? Um, but in the end, what it has done is it's created such, um, uh, a lack of, of understanding identity, understanding like where you come from it, in order to be a whole person, you have to understand where you come from. And if you want to go somewhere, you have to know where you've been. And, um, so a lot of, a lot of, um, Russians that have lived in Kazakhstan, cause there's a, there's a massive, um, that's where the. Uh, spaceport, one of the spaceports is in okay. Kazakhstan, um, in Georgia, in like Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, like all these borderline countries, even in Eastern Ukraine, um, like they don't know who they are. They're Russian, right? Ethnic do you see Russian. It, do they seem like they're searching for identity or are they more just kind of blank slates in a way it depends on uh it depends on who you talk to um if if you have a more strong like russian ethnicity living in ukraine for instance right um you're gonna have a problem because you're not ukrainian and after world war ii and they marked the boundaries you know russians were everywhere um so a russian living in ukraine wouldn't feel ukrainian um, and wouldn't know if they're Russian or not, right? So, so you have these refugees coming out of there that either identify as Russian or as I don't know. What do you mean those refugees coming out of where? Oh, out of Eastern Ukraine. So Eastern Ukraine, that, I mean, I guess so it's let's been set that years. up. So, so five years ago, um, there was the, the Revolution of Dignity in Ukraine, and then there was a, what, what was called a counter-revolution, I guess, um, and the, the original very, re- revolution was to oust the 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 president because the president was very corrupt, um, and he's very pro Russia. Yeah, he's very pro Russia, 
Uh, he backed out of a, a agreement with the EU, um, and that started a protest. And then those protesters got, you know, beat up, and so it caused a bigger protest to the point where there was a massive protest in the in the center, and, and it eventually ended up where the government, uh, they were called the Berkut or the secret police, um, were shooting protesters, and like a hundred people died um, from the the secret police. This is in Kiev. Yeah, this was in Kiev. Yeah, so. Uh, so that's that prompted so that was the revolution that happened the right. president was ousted yeah so the president fled um to to russia and um and then the east is kind of this mix right yeah so uh so the east used to be very ukrainian um but a lot of them were starved by stalin uh so large amounts of ukrainians were were killed by um the stalin uh, you know Russians would disagree with me on this one because um, we all like to cherry pick our histories. But uh, but it was a very Ukrainian land until Stalin either moved them to Siberia or they were killed in uh, the Holodomor, the, the man-made famine. It's an interesting, uh, it's a long story. But if you want to look into it, it's, it's super, int- super fascinating. Uh, so a bunch of Russians were moved in. But this is a huge mining uh, area, steel is being produced out of this area. So it's a huge industrial area. So lots of money can, comes out of that place. A lot of coal for Europe comes out of this place. So it's a very strategic place financially, right? So um, so as this kind of, the, the revolution was winding down in Kiev, um, this is where it gets tricky. I don't want to isolate anyone. So, uh, so maybe I could say it. Yeah. So from my perspective, so, right. what, so what happened is um, the pro-Russian president was backing out of treaties and agreements yes. with the EU. Right. Um, and there's, a, there's been this struggle of Ukraine being more Slavic or being more European because so, it's sitting in the dead center between Asia right. and Europe. And mm-hmm. so the question is, are we more Russian or are we more European? Right. And they're saying we – a lot of them are saying we have our own identity. We're Ukrainian. Right. We're maybe neither, but right. we'll work with who wants to work with us. And so the president was very pro-Russian, arranging agreements that benefited Russia. Yeah. Um, and then the people had a revolution. They ousted him. He fled to Russia. And then you have eastern Ukraine, which is very strategic in terms of natural resources. Um, Russia wants those natural resources. Ukraine wants those natural resources. So then there becomes this the struggle over who gets those natural resources in that land. Right. Um, and, and that sets up to where we are today. Right. Where we have, which may be constitute as a, a civil war of sorts, or what do they call um, that over there? So um, Ukrainians will call it a war with Russia. Okay. Um, Russians would call it um, civil war. Um, I, I know Western media is is changing their narrative on what it is, um, but realistically, it is. Um, in my opinion, in my opinion, what I've seen, it's pretty hard to deny that that Russia does like to destabilize um, its borders um, because it creates a buffer zone for them with Europe, uh, and it, so. In my in my opinion, actually, Eastern Ukraine, the war in Eastern Ukraine is more of a of a war between the West and Russia, rather than Ukraine and Russia, mm-hmm. um, against NATO and Russia. Um, so it's 
So it's it's a lot deeper than just Ukraine. And we were seeing this in Syria and Venezuela, like these countries where um, leaders are, you know, trying to be ousted or trying to be dethroned or whatever they are. Um, the but, people are trying to oust them. Yeah, people are trying to oust them. But who's trying to oust them or who's trying to keep them in? The American government and the Russian government. So you're actually having wars or battles between Russia and America in the West. Um, but pro- it's fought. Proxy wars. Yeah, it's proxy wars. So Ukraine, I, I, I personally believe Ukraine was a proxy war. Um, and it's a sad thing to see um, because I hate proxy wars because it's, um, it's all the blood on someone else's hands. But, you know, we benefit. So that's one of the, the hardest things of being an American um, watching what was going on in the East and um, knowing, knowing that it was bigger than just Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so um, yeah, the, the people in the East, uh, they're, they're ethnic Russians, most of them. Um, so people will either say, I'm Russian, therefore where I am is Russia, right? Because Putin definitely stirred up this kind of nostalgia for the Soviet Union, um, this love for Russia, um, righting historical wrongs. You're, you're starting to hear a lot of that, especially in nationalist movements. Um, we have to, you know, go back to what it used to be, you know, when we were great, um, which sounds familiar in places. <laughs> um, it's actually, it's the same rhetoric all over Europe right now of, of look what it used to be, look what it is now. We need to get back there. So this nostalgia. So Putin's doing this well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been doing it for years. Like, like Crimea was like when uh, Russia took Crimea, it was not a surprise to anyone. Like Russia had been handing out passports, uh, Russian passports to Ukrainians for years before that. So when, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the war in Georgia, the country Georgia, mm-hmm. South Ossetia. It was the exact same run-up as Crimea, uh, but it was done very differently because they learned a lot in Georgia. <laughs> uh, so they, they, they changed their tactics, uh, but they, they did the same thing that they did in South Ossetia, but um, just smarter, very, very much smarter. And um, so, but it's all this kind of like playing with this these Russians that are living in other countries that have this nostalgia for Russia that watch Russian news. Um, but they, they just, what's awakened them is a longing for their history. It's a, a way. So they're playing, Putin was playing with their desire for um, something stable, something greater than themselves, something that was just, you know, this, this history, he was trying to attach a history to the people that were living in other countries and the problem with that is like that's empire thinking, right? So wherever Russians are, that's where Russia is. That's em- that's empire thinking. That's not a country thinking. So what we're dealing with is different worldviews is there as well. But this is my, you know, uneducated observation. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really interesting to see because you have like a fractured um when the Soviet Union broke apart. Right. You have um these nations that were nations at one time with their own yeah. cultural history, yeah. ethnic history, and then they were consolidated under Soviet rule. Right. And then they're given back to themselves right. with Russians living there, who right. were born there and raised there right. and identify there. So that is very interesting. Well, if you talk about the 90s, the 90s was a huge time for the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been thinking about, like you hear everybody say the 90s. 
even in the states we talk about the 90s it was it was it was different it was like it's a different 10 year period of it's so weird to hear people refer to the 90s like i used to refer to the 80s or the 70s yeah, exactly and now they're referring to my adolescence as the, the 90s. 90s right well in in ukraine and in, in russia the, the the 90s was the you know the 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 fall of the soviet union and what happened after it right so do ukrainian it was a hard time the 90s they talk about oh man in the 90s you know we stood in lines with these little pieces of paper to get our food and stuff because you just didn't know what was going to happen but there's like there's an excitement to it um, because ukraine became free again and you know they could just they can just define their own future and and just kind of run with it but if you talk to a russian the 90s was horrible right because russia was the seat of the soviet union and russia became you know just russia right, right? it lost a massive amount of territory in terms of the Soviet Union, right? Something that they had controlled and, and called their own. And so you have all these, these Russians that, are, that look at the 90s with, with shame and sadness um, because they didn't gain anything from it. They lost a lot, except, you know, McDonald's. And like there's, there's uh, videos of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger going and opening up a McDonald's in Moscow. And I mean, it's just like for some, for, in some ways it was an open of, of, capitalism in Russia and, and freedom in Russia. But at the same time, uh, it was as a, as a nation's identity, it was really detrimental. Mm. So, so you, it's, it's interesting hearing my Russian friends and my Ukrainian friends talk about the nineties. Um, and it really frames where we're at today, you know, um, because a lot of those Russians are always still talking about, Oh, when bread costs, you know, 79 cents and, and now it's like, you know, a dollar fifty and, and so there's this nostalgia and there's this longing for things of the past. Mm-hmm. And so Putin was really smart in how he fostered that and 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 made something out of it. So that's why right now Crimea is part of uh Russian control and, and the East is very unstable. Do you see with Putin um because with everything there's manipulation going on when you get to government of America or wherever. Um, do you see a genuine belief in Putin, like a love for Russia, like a genuine... Because from my perspective, I see a man who loves his nation, who wants to see it great, who believes in the greatness of Russia, and he's going to use, you know, the Orthodox Church or he's going to use, you know, nostalgia to appeal to that. But in a lot of ways, that's real. Like that's that nostalgia is real. Um, Do you see that being the case at all, or do you think it's kind of a manufactured nostalgia? It's um, both, right? So when, uh, from what I understand, when Putin came into power, he said his um, his biggest regret was the disillusionment of the Soviet Union. That was um, is very impactful for him. So. Like uh, I think he loves us. I think he loves Russia. And and if you if you look at Russian history from the Tsars, like Lenin was just the next Tsar. He just wasn't in the family. And then Stalin, same. Just uh, the national leader. Like Russians love strong leaders. Uh, right now, um, Putin's approval rating in reality is a lot lower than. Than it was like right after Crimea, it was like at ninety percent, and that's actually pretty accurate. I, I would think it's pretty accurate, but now it's uh, 
it's dropping very quickly because the sanctions are finally starting to work. The, you know, like they're in a lot of countries with their military, um, this arms race with, you know, the U S like their, their economy is really struggling. And, and so there is a discontent, but at the same time, like there's a, there's a saying I'd, I'd, I'd rather have a bad leader that I know than the next leader. I don't that's Lance's paraphrase, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, and that's, that's a reality. Like Putin's a strong man. At least you know what you're going to get. Right. Um, and if you think about like the mindset, like, like Russians don't really, they care about what's right and wrong. Um, but at the same time they care about honor more. So, um, they don't want to, they don't want Russia to be a shameful country. They want to be an honorable country that, that influences the world. Right. So that's what Russians want, but the way they do it and the way they've done it in history the forever is just very different than we have in the West. And so we're having a, very different conflict of, I mean, we know we have different mindset than China, right? As Americans, it's very easy to see. So we, but we don't have that same understanding that we, we don't have the same mindset as Russia, right? Americans and Russian minds do not mix. It's like oil and water. So to think that, that we can operate with Russia, like we operate with, you know, Europe, it's, it just doesn't work. I think it's really interesting if you look at the relationship between the Soviet Union and America in the 80s, it'd be very easy to say that we are different people. Yeah. But today, like I see where it could be very easy to not feel that way or not have an understanding of that, especially if you were born in the 90s. Right. But what you're saying is that culturally, those differences are still there. Yeah. It's massive difference, but just just think about um, like capitalism. Like uh, American capitalism was born out of American expansionism, right? So, like we value individuals that go into hard places and you know scrape scrape the dust to to grow a crop, and then they sell it and then they grow their wealth, right? That these are the stories we grew up on, and these are the stories that we we promote. I mean, look at any video or, or video, <laughs> not, what year am I in? Uh, look at any movie nowadays. It's, it's always an individual that goes and does something great and proves himself, right? That is America. The American archetype. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but in Russia, it's not, right? Still, it's not, right? It, it's, it's never been. Like, it's been... What the, in your mind is the archetype of a of Russia? A, 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 Russian? a Russian, yeah. Somebody that's very close to Mother Russia, right? Somebody that's very close to um, the the ethnic identity of what it is to be Russian, right? So it's more about the history. It's more about the grandeur. It's more about Saint Petersburg. It's you know, it's it's about Moscow and the beauty of the cathedrals. It's 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 this kind of um, cultural identity. That is that is uh, that is a Russian, right? That is a Ukrainian as well. Like, we come from the Kazakhs, not Kazakhstan, but like Kazakhs, and you know, with uh, their you know fluffy red pants, and you know, riding around on horses and being all amazing. So, and that's what Ukrainians like, at least in Ternopil, they they identify with. So, it, it's not the individual that goes out. It's like 
it's our history. It's our, it's who we are. It's our blood. It's our, it's our identity, you know? So it's, um, and that's what I would say that uh, maybe it's simplistic, but that's what I see. Which in America, I think we have that, um, a certain sense of Americana, a certain sense of patriotism. Um, but yeah, I don't think we hold our value in, we hold our value in the ideas and the ideals yeah. of the constitution. It's, it's so true. <laughs> we don't hold our value in, um, in the culture per se. Yet, I think we can fall into that. Which is interesting if you look at the history of like education with the founding fathers and all the folklore of the American West and all that. Mm-hmm. I think that was very much a, a way of creating that. But those stories are about people that live out the ideals and the ideas, right. the independent people. It's not stories of people that are dying for Mother America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, you know, okay, living in, in Europe, living in, in Ukraine, where you, you can see a nationalist and you know who they are. Okay. You, you know, and I mean, there's, there's racism there and, and all, all this kind of thing. But they're Ukrainian nationalists, right? Or Russian nationalists. Or Serbian nationalists, like you, you, you know who they are, and you know what they think because of their nationality. So I've been having this hard time, like, and this is from my perspective, looking in from, from Ukraine to the states and talking about American nationalists. I don't understand what that means. I honestly, like, it perplexes me, like, thinking, what is an American nationalist? It doesn't make sense. We're not Irish. We're not. German, we're not Ukrainian, we're not Russian, we're not, you know, Hispanic, we're not African American, we're not, we're all of those things. So, what is an American nationalist? So, when you talk about American nationalism, it makes no sense. So, so for me, like, like for me, this this whole idea of American nationalism is a completely different issue because it's not it's talking about American history, sort of. But I, I don't. Yeah, so, so this is where I'm just super confused because I can definitely s- tell you what a, a Ukrainian nationalist would look like. It's Ukrainian, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but an American nationalist. Uh. Well, I think it's interesting what you're saying because the term here, living here, is not American nationalist; it's white nationalist. Okay, that's what people refer to, which is interesting because there are white nationalists. There are people that believe that their white skin is better than other different colored skins that exists that's a real thing but i think what's happening on a national scale is there are are a lot of american patriots and you could even say nationalists i think nationally there are a lot of people who believe in the identity of america and constitutionally in what the idea of america what it's meant to be right and those people are being wrapped into this idea of white nationalism i think that's i think that's a very Accurate view of things. This podcast is going completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, this is all, I don't know if I'll use any of this. <laughs> it was at this point that we stopped recording, regrouped, and pressed record again, which can be heard as part one. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out that other episode as well, which goes into more of Lance's story and day-to-day experience as a YWAM missionary and base leader in Chernobyl, Ukraine. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on social media. This is Shane Simonson signing off. Until next time.